0: We're in a series called Transformed and we're going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 10, but I really felt led to start off with a certain scripture that's not found in the book of Acts, it's found in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, and maybe you've heard this scripture before. But it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You guys ever heard that before, breaking up your fallow ground? And I, I, I used to think that, and maybe growing up, I, I heard it preached certain ways, but I always thought fallow ground was like equivalent to like a hard heart, like that we need to break up our hard heart and begin to seek the Lord. But the more I've, I've studied it, even this week, just, just kind of touched on it this week, it's not so much that fallow ground is a hardened heart. Fallow ground is actually ground, if you look at it even agriculturally, it's, it's not hard ground. It's really soil that's been unprepared, but is packed full of potential. So in some ways, it's, it's kind of like soil that has been left resting for a long time, or maybe it's soil that's never been used, And so when the scriptures here encourage, you know, the prophet Hosea encourages actually Israel to break up their fallow ground, what he's talking about is how they have left this ground that is full of potential untilled or untapped. And they have been sowing in the same places over and over and over again. And if you know anything about how things work, and how you guys know it's it's garden season, right? How many of you guys are gardeners, and it's garden season? So this message is gonna tell you a little bit about how to garden in the natural, so it will have that, but also in the spiritual as well. So it's just kind of how I feel led to package this today. And I may have just described what some of you feel, though. Because some of us feel like we've been doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting diminishing harvests for doing what seems like we're supposed to do. We're planting, we're tilling, we're, we're working in the field, but it seems like we're not getting the harvest that we should have for the effort that we're putting out. And we know we're cooperating with God, but why isn't there a harvest? And some of us feel like maybe there's some sort of, well, and we kind of describe it as, maybe I've got a hard heart, so maybe I need to break up the fallow ground. I don't think that's what God is saying. I don't think that's maybe your issue. But I will say this, for every new thing that God wants to do, there's an old thing that stands in the way. For every new thing that God wants to do, there's an old way, possibly, that stands in the way. There's an old thing, there's an old whatever that stands in the way. And so as we look at Acts chapter 10, there's really, this is kind of our story in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to look at it from an agricultural sense because Jesus talked a lot about in metaphors like this. The Bible talks a lot, and I know we kind of lost that in this day, but many of you guys will get this as we go through this. But Acts chapter 10, verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, we gotta start right out of the gate to know something about Cornelius. And in this story, Cornelius and his friends and his family, they are what's called Gentiles or non-Jews. And at this point in... Biblical history, these guys were on the outside of everything God was doing, because it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then it was the 12 tribes of Israel, and then it was like through the lineage of David, and and all this stuff, and so even in the book of Acts, all the stuff we've looked at, you know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, it talked about how the gospel was going to be spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, everything that's happening up until this point is even those people who are becoming followers of Jesus, they're Jews becoming followers of Jesus as the Messiah. Everything's happening within that for the most part. And so Cornelius is a guy who it says he's a devout man, even though he's a Gentile, he feared God with his whole household and he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, so about three in the afternoon, he's praying. He has a vision. He sees an angel come to him. And it sa- he says to him, Cornelius, and he, he's like, what is it, Lord? I mean, because this is like not an everyday occurrence, right? And so he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So Cornelius is doing something. And, and I want you to see this fallow ground definition. It's, it's this untilled, untapped potential of where God might want to do something that Cornelius is doing something in this fallow ground, and the, the things that he's doing, partially, I believe, are making it fallow ground. In other words, making it full of potential, even though it's untilled. He's doing some things here. And so it says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called his two servants and and a devout soldier among them who tended them and having related everything, told them the whole story, he sent them off to Joppa to go do what the angel had said. And so I I just wanna relate this to us in this gardening or agricultural fashion, but since the Bible talked about that in Hosea chapter 10. And so what is the thing that Cornelius is doing? If you know anything about growing a good garden, you have to, feed the soil. Because it's all in the soil. If you ever tried to grow something and it doesn't work, it's because, most likely, it's because there's not enough nutrients in the soil. It's it's the wrong kind of soil. We live in Clay County, so (laughs) there's a lot of clay in the dirt, right? And it just stuff doesn't grow very well unless you get some good soil going on. Well, Cornelius is feeding the soil. He's, He's packing it full of potential through his prayers, through his giving, through his fearing God. he was It was accumulating in the soil, even though he's a Gentile, it was accumulating in the soil of his heart this, this potential that had been untilled up until this point. And Peter, in the story, is also doing the same. Because as we look at the story, Peter is... It's about 12 in the day, it's lunchtime. In fact, somebody's preparing him lunch, but he goes up on the roof, and usually, you know, it started off about two times a day that they would go and they would pray, but then it kind of evolved into three times a day they would pray. Remember, Daniel prayed three times a day. It'd be like morning, noon, and night. It's noon, Peter goes to pray. Many times they would face Jerusalem as they pray. He goes up on the roof of the house, he starts praying. And as he prays, he sees a vision. And in this vision, it's a sheet that's full of animals, full of uh, animals, reptiles and birds and all this type of stuff. And he hears, you know, this, in this vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But he, the problem, and this happened three times, but as we see in Acts chapter 10, verse 13, there came a voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, says what God has made clean, do not call common, and this happened three times and was taken up to heaven at once. And so this, the reason why this was so significant is because these animals represented things that Peter, as a Jew, could not eat because these were unclean animals. It was in the, the law, and he could not eat these things. And yet he's hearing this voice that says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. He's like, I can't do that. I've never done that. These are, these are unclean things, and God says, no, not, not any longer. And he's saying, as we look in the story, remember Cornelius, he would have been considered unclean as a Gentile. He would have been considered outside of everything that God wanted to do. And so God wasn't just talking about food to Peter, he was talking about people to Peter. He was talking about God was getting ready to do something brand new that had never happened before. But you gotta understand, from Peter's perspective, the history of how long this had happened. I mean, God, you know, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, where you see God gives Abraham this vision of you know, the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky, so will be your descendants, and through the seed of Abraham, the world will be blessed. And so then you had, again, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the lineage, and up until this point, it had only been the Jews that were in on this deal. And so for Peter to believe this, he had to have one of those moments that we talked about uh, last week or the week before, like, like, is this really you, God? But I think somewhere along the way, they had forgotten that it was through the seed of Abraham that the world would be blessed. And they kind of stopped it as, well, this must be just a thing for the, for the Israelites or for the Jews. But no, it was ultimately for the world to be blessed. And that door was getting ready to be kicked wide open but God was about ready to do something new and a whole generation of never befores were getting ready to about to have their moment, right? So the Gentiles were essentially fallow ground. They were packed full of potential. They were packed, they were untilled though. And so sometimes there's areas of our life that is fallow ground that is just untilled ground, it's, it hasn't been available, or it hasn't, it's been untilled, but it's been available maybe for some time, and so God was getting ready to do something new, it just had never happened before. But you guys know, this is not the, the last time this, something like this had ever happened. I mean, we can go through all the major revivals, we talked about them lately. And then I was thinking about this week, how many of you guys have seen that new movie that's out, Jesus Revolution? Anybody seen that movie? All right, several of you guys have seen that movie, Jesus Revolution, it's all talking, it's all to do with what God did in the late 60s and early 70s with the Jesus movement and how God was saving all of these hippies. And these, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this story this week and I, I went and actually saw the movie on Tuesday night and I'm looking at the movie, I'm looking at Acts chapter 10, I'm like, this is exactly, like this is as close to the modern day version as, of Acts chapter 10 as we're going to get. I mean, here were all these people on the outside and everybody thought, no, this is not for them. They don't belong here. And then they were brought in and God did something amazing. I mean, if I could say it this way, the hippies were unta- untilled and they were, I mean, there was packed full of potential. God began to move in this, that generation and they were, I mean, it just exploded what God did in an amazing way. And so God is still in the business of having us till up fallow ground. And so as I, as I was watching this movie this week, I, I thought, man, this is exactly Acts chapter 10. And I know as you see a movie, you know, they can't include everything and there's more to the story and it's messy and all that type of stuff. And yet I came away from the movie really inspired to say, you know, God, what you've done in the past, I believe you can do again. And so let me just show you, for those of you guys who have seen it or maybe you haven't seen it, um, this is just the trailer of that movie just to give you a taste of what was happening during that time and what the movie's about. Let's watch. Hey, Square.
1: I am not a square.
0: I think we should invite Greg this weekend.
1: What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bath.
0: You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty.
1: When God walks in here, brings me a hippie, I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. There's an entire generation searching
0: down, miss, down. just in all
1: the wrong places if you want to reach my people you need to speak to them in a language they understand if i bring them in i'm going to lose my job we can only walk through doors open to us in your church that's a door that's shut you've probably noticed we have some guests here today i'd like you to meet my new friends welcome They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome! Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to
0: tell all your friends about it. It is based on a true story. It did happen. Maybe it happened in different pockets in different ways, but as I was getting ready to watch that movie this week, I thought, who would I wanna see this movie with? There's no person on the planet that I would rather see this movie with than my dad. And so I texted him, because many of you guys know his story. So I texted him, I said, hey, have you seen this movie, Jesus Revolution, yet? And he said, I saw it in real time. (laughs) I said, I guess so. Well, do you wanna go see it? And he said, yeah. And so we went and saw it, and uh, I guess that was only the fifth time he's ever watched a movie in a movie theater. <laughs> and. Uh- But I could hear him laughing at all the different parts, and we talked afterwards, went to dinner afterwards, and talked a lot about all the things that God did back in that day, and the the things that, ways that God moved and stuff, and it was a powerful time of people who were on the outside being brought in, people who were untilled. All of a sudden, the fallow ground began to be broken up, and and all of a sudden, new seeds were planted, and what was happening in that day was the same thing that was happening in Peter's day, a group of people that, that, that were on the outside were about to be let in. And as I was thinking about that this week, you know, I think about our fallow ground. Is it possible that there's fallow ground in our life that needs to be broken up? And so I would just say it this way, don't be so in love with the old that you can't see God's new. We can be so in love with the way that God used to work. Even, so Peter's story kind of goes like this. He he's up on the house praying. He he sees this vision. Sees the the you know the sheet come down. You know he's I'd look at it like this way. He sees the vision of bacon coming down from the sky. He falls into a trance. You know we call that hangry. You know, and he's. He's up there. I mean, he's he's watching this. And then God tells him, hey, there's going to be some guys that are going to come. Go with them. And basically, as soon as he's done seeing this vision, there's a knock at the door, and there's men at the door. And he's like, they're like, we're looking for a guy named Peter. He's like, I'm I'm the guy. Let's go. So they go. And as soon as he gets there, Cornelius falls down, thinks he's an angel. He's like, no, I'm not an angel. Stand up. He begins to preach the good news to them. But while he's preaching the gospel to these Gentiles, he gets interrupted. Uh, it, It says... Uh, it it says here in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out on the Gentiles. This will mess with your formulas, by the way, your theological formulas, uh, in a couple of different ways. First of all, it's happening on the Gentiles, but it says, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the holy spirit just as we have and so here we have a very unique case of these people who were filled with the holy spirit before they were even baptized in water sometimes we get so formulaic with god but this just proves that you know god's god does things in different different ways sometimes you were talking about new god does things in different ways sometimes This also goes to the point that spirit baptism and water baptism are definitely two different things right here in the scripture. And so the spirit of God falls on these Gentiles. They're speaking in tongues, praising God. They get water baptized and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some time. So Peter's trying to process this theologically. He's like, everything I've known about how this works, this does not fit in. But he comes to this conclusion. Well, these people must not be unclean if the Holy Spirit fell on them. If the Holy Spirit fell on them, they must be clean just like we're clean. And because of that, they can be baptized. And so he theologically recon- reconciles all of this. He's, he's like, well, it must be because of the blood of Jesus that now the Gentiles, now the door to the Gentiles is wide open. This untilled ground is now starting to be tilled. And so don't fall so in love with the old that you can't see God's new. Well, that's the way God used to work in my life. So that's the, way, the only way God works in my life. Well, that's the way God used to use me in ministry. So that's the only way God uses me in ministry. Well, that's what I, the way I used to serve in church. So that's the only way I serve in church. Well, that's, that's the way I used to feel the presence of God. So that's the only way I can feel the presence of God. That's the way my family used to work. How many of you guys know that as you go and grow in, in a timeline of life, your family starts to take on different, I mean, our family's going through different transitions right now. And if I get so in love with the old that I can't see God's new, I may miss a God opportunity right in front of me. Well, that's the way my church, old church used to do it. Well, that's the way I I used to think. That's the way my marriage used to be. And we get so in love with the old that we think that's the only way God does something. If Peter would have done that, he would have missed untilled ground. He, He would have missed this fallow ground opportunity to till up the soil and to be a part of God's new. And so I would just say, just keep feeding the soil. Just keep feeding the soil, even if it looks like it's not tillable right now, keep feeding that plot of ground, keep expecting, keep watching for it, keep waiting for it, because what you're doing is you are are getting some ground ready to be tilled, but some of us are just sowing in the same place. When you do this, though, when you start to till up this fallow ground and you move from the old into the new, there's something else that comes with it. In Acts chapter 11, verse 17, or verse 1, excuse me, it says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so they praised God and they were happy about it. And they were like, great, good job, Peter. Now you guys know, you guys are reading ahead. That's not what happened, is it? Is it? It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jews, they criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them because he wasn't even supposed to be in the same place with them. So not only did he go to them, and he stayed with them, he prayed for them, he baptized them, he was breaking every single rule that there was, (laughs) essentially. And because of that, there was criticism. And whenever there's criticism, criticism tries to choke out the life of God that is trying to happen in your life. You go to Acts chapter 11, 17. Peter tells him all that happened. He's like, guys, I mean, you can read this. It's a story verbatim almost of what happened. He's like, okay, guys, I was up on the roof. The bacon came down. These guys showed up at the door. I went with them. You know, Cornelius falls. It he goes through the whole thing. He's like, then the Holy Spirit fell on him. I baptized them. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, 11, verse 17, he says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this this line that is so important. He's like, who am I to stand in the way of God? Now, can we ask that of ourselves for a moment? What if there's untilled, untapped ground in our life? I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I standing in the way of God? Because I'm just going back to the same well. I'm just going back to the same soil. I'm just going back to the same place. I just have the same, I have one expectation. Am I standing in the way of God by not tilling up fallow ground? And so you have to feed the soil, but with this criticism thing, let's just go back to the agricultural analogy if you want to have good soil and a good harvest, you also have to pull some weeds. You know what I'm saying? There's some, there's some things in your life. In the natural, I'm telling you how to grow a good garden in the natural, by the way, too. You need to pull some weeds. But you also have to pull some weeds in your life. Because if you don't pull the weeds of wrong thinking, if you don't pull the weeds of anxiety, if you don't pull the weeds of critical a critical spirit, they will choke out the life of God. So remove any critical spirit that tries to choke out the life of God in you. Let me, let me say that again. Remove any critical spirit that tries to choke out the life of God in you. And here's, here's the most challenging part. Many times that critical spirit is on the inside of you. Sometimes it's outside. I would just say most of the time, that critical spirit, we are fighting against ourselves. Our thoughts are fighting against the thoughts of God. And if God wants to do something new in you, you're going to have to start pulling some weeds maybe out of your own thinking and out of your own heart. You have to get aggressive. And listen, I, I use the five-second rule all the time with my thoughts. You know, five-second rule with food, you know, if it's within five seconds, it's all right. But more than five seconds, scientifically proven, I don't know how it is, but scientifically proven, it's, it's you know, after the five-second, it's, it's expired, you know. But In my thought life, if I have any thought that is contrary to the way that I should be thinking, that I should be, you know, that have God thoughts, if if there's any thought contrary to the way of God, I employ the five-second rule. I do not let those thoughts live more than five seconds in my life. Because as soon as they live longer than five seconds, they start getting roots, man. And those things are hard to pull out some of us, man, we are just like, well, I feel a responsibility to process all this stuff. And listen, I'm not talking about like skipping over grief you need to, or emotions. You need. I'm not talking about it. I'm saying any thought you know that you should be plucking out of your heart. Why are you entertaining it? Why do you let it live longer than five seconds in your heart and in your mind? It's just choking out the life of God in you. Are we standing in the way of God by letting thought weeds grow in our heart to choke out the life of God? Oh, well, by cer- certainly we are. We're standing in the way of God. You say, oh, I'm not doing anything. That's the problem. We're not doing anything about it. And yet God has given us the authority to take down strongholds, to take thoughts captive. Any thought that exalts itself against the name or the knowledge or the will or the way of God, you have the authority to pluck that root out. Pull some weeds out of your life. You know, when you, when you do something that's brand new, there comes a lot of criticism. You know, Peter, he was enduring some criticism. In the 70s, there was a lot of criticism. You know, years ago when I was a youth pastor, we, we had this rule or kind of guidelines that, you know, we were bringing in people from all different backgrounds and stuff. And so if sometimes there'd be people, you know, That were inappropriately dressed have something on their shirt that wasn't appropriate or maybe not wearing enough. And so we'd have to, you know, confront people and say, hey, will you put this shirt over that shirt or whatever it was? But there's this one time there's a young lady who came in and she was not dressed, what we would say, appropriately. She was uh, not dressed in a way that was, she was attracting the young men's eyes. Let's just say that. And so many of the youth leaders were, uh, they were coming to me and it was like, we've got to do something about this girl. I mean, she, and it was her first time there and I could tell, you know, whatever, the, the, it was, you know, for first time for whatever reason. And, and I just felt in my spirit like, no, we should not confront her. And just, just because I feel like it's going, to, it's going to shut down, she's going to shut down, walls are going to come up if we do. And I understand we had a certain, you know, we had to keep a certain atmosphere and stuff. But, and so in that moment, man, I was getting some pushback from some of my youth leaders because they were like, this is not, no, we have rules and policies for a reason. And, and I understood that. I mean, I was part of setting them. But I felt like we should just let this one go. And of course, we go through the service and I preach the gospel. Of course, you can probably tell where this is going. But she responds to the altar call at the end. And I really felt like that had we confronted her over her behavior before she had been confronted with her Savior, she might not have ever met him. So when you welcome in the last, the lost, the least, the orphan, the, the, uh, you know, the outsider, whatever it is, the stranger, the outcast, you're going to probably receive some criticism. Whenever you step into something new that God wants you to do, you're probably going to have some criticism. But you've got to be a good steward to partner with God to begin to not just feed the soil, but... but Pull some weeds. I believe, you know, we talk a lot about this generation or Gen Z and all this type of stuff. I do believe that just like in past generations, in every generation, there are people doing all sorts of things, but there, there's really something that's underlying all of it. We're 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 in all this mess, but there's really something that drives all of it. And so I got one more clip from this movie, but I believe this particular line in the movie really identifies what it is and why we should have a heart. For people, why we should be like Peter and open up our gates, why, why we should be open up, why we should open up our lives to something new that God wants to do. All right, last clip, 45 seconds. Let's watch.
1: So, uh, tell me about yourself, Lonnie,
0: and your uh, people.
1: My people. I like the sound of that. You know, it reminds me of the words of Jesus. To what, then, can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? I was up in San Francisco for a long time, living in Haight-Ashbury, on the streets, all over. Man, we did everything and everyone. But that was the point. You see, the drugs, It's a quest. For what? For God. How can you not see that? There is an entire generation right now searching for God.
0: Everyone is accepted here. I believe there is an entire generation searching for God. They just don't know it yet. I believe God created us with an innate, Desire to come home. And we try to fill that with all sorts of things. And so what was happening in Peter's day was people trying to come home. What was happening in the seventies was people trying to come home. I believe there are people trying to come home to God today. There's people God puts in our life just like that. The good news is about the gospel, that the gospel is come as you are. How many guys are thankful for that? There's also more good news about the gospel because the gospel is not just come as it it is come as you are, but it's not stay as you are. Because once you come as you are, there's this freedom that comes in Christ that moves you from where you were to where you can be. And that's the that's the process of the old becoming new. That's the process of leaving the old life and walking in the new life. Acts chapter 11 verse 17 or verse 18 it says and when they heard these things they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, I've talked a lot about that word repentance. For repentance many times we think of it this way that it's like I'm doing this bad thing and I'm going this direction if I repent I rotate repentance is a rotation by the way that I rotate I do a 180 and I start doing these other things these good things instead of doing the bad things now I have repented that's not biblical repentance though we think okay well you know biblical repentance is not what you're doing but it's Thinking like okay, I'm thinking these bad things, and so I need to stop thinking. Because how many you guys know that the, the as you think, so goes your life. The Bible talks about renewing your mind in that way. And so we think, uh, I, okay, I need to. I'm thinking bad things, and I need to stop thinking bad things. And when I do that, I turn around and now I rotate and I have a repentance and I start thinking new things. And that's good, but that's not the totality of biblical repentance. See, biblical repentance is not just doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, and then doing the right thing, thinking the right thing. Biblical repentance is, it changes the way that I think. So that I used to think, the way that I thought about sin was this. Not just that I'm thinking about sin, but the way that I think about God has changed. Not just that I think about God, but the way I see God has opened up into a brand new door. And how do you guys know that when the way you think changes, the behavior will take care of itself? You change the way you think about something, you will start to do something automatically. So many of us, we focus on our behavior instead of our way of thinking. When you focus only on behavior, you'll end up back in wrong behavior. But if you change the way you think, you'll end up doing the right thing without even thinking about it. And so this is the process of repentance. Repentance is when there's a rotation that happens. So you feed the soil, you pull the weeds, but if you wanna leave the old and start experiencing some new, you're gonna have to rotate the crops. You know this in in the natural. If you plant in the same spot over and over, like I plant tomatoes in this spot every year. Every year I plant tomatoes. You know what? And and, man, they're beautiful, they're good, they're awesome. And then the next year, oh, that was a great place to plant them. So I'm gonna plant them there again. You plant them again. And maybe the, the second year, they're good. And the third year, they're good. And the fourth year, they're good. And the fifth year, they're not so good, but they're still okay. And then the sixth year, it's like, what's going on? Well, if you plant in the same place over and over and over again, you start to deplete the certain minerals and nutrients that that plant needs. And over time, if you don't ever replenish it, if you're not feeding the soil, what happens is you extract all of those particular nutrients that that plant needs so that there's none left. And so if you want to have a strong garden, what you need to do is you have to rotate the crops. And so you might plant the tomatoes here one year, but then the next year you move the tomatoes into this spot and you plant something else that's gonna replenish the nutrients there and you rotate them around year after year. So some of you guys are getting ideas. You're like writing this down, like you had nothing to do with the sermon. You're like thinking I'm gonna go home and plant some plants, right? That's all right, you'll get it. And, And you rotate the crops. And when you rotate the crops... What you're doing is you're providing new opportunities in the land that was, was previously untapped. And so when it talks about fallow ground, what fallow ground is, many times it's when farmers will leave ground to sit for a while, to allow it to replenish its nutrients, and it becomes untapped or untilled. And what it's doing is nutrients are being packed in again and potential's there. But if you don't ever tap that potential You'll never experience. And so what I'm saying is, some of us, we're sowing in the same place over and over and over again. And we have diminishing harvests. And we're sowing in the same ground over and over again. Some of us, we feel like, man, I'm not getting a harvest. And plus, I live downhill from a manure pile. You guys ever been there before? I do live downhill from a manure pile. My, my neighbor, he has horses and there's manure that is like right uphill from me and it washes down onto my garden. How do you guys know, I'm a blessed man though. (laughs) Because it's feeding the soil. God will take any, God will take bad things and he'll turn them into good for your life, right? That's just a freebie right there for you guys. (laughs) But some of us are sowing in the same place over and over and over again. My calendar looks the same as it did last year. I'm just gonna keep sowing, that's what I've always done. Some of us are exhausted, we're frustrated, we're upset, we're offended, we're whatever. You're sowing in the same ground. My prayer life, this is the way I always pray. You just keep sowing in the same ground. Like this this is just the way I've always done it. Some of you guys are just sowing in the same friendships. There's There's no life in it. But that's just what I've always done and you're just sowing in the same ground same place over and over again you got the same ha- habits you wonder why you're not experiencing the life of God you got the you're in the same ground you got the same attitudes same attitudes about life same attitudes about your job same attitudes about people same attitude about serving same attitude about giving same attitude about loving people same attitude about forgiveness same attitude about everything and we wonder why is there Why is nothing going well for me? (laughs) Because you're sowing in the same ground. You're sowing with the same stuff. Your schedule looks exactly the same. Your heart looks exactly the same. Your thought process looks exactly the same. You're just sowing in the same. What's happening is you're getting diminishing harvests for the same amount of effort. And so you increase the effort. You wear yourself. Am I describing anybody here? You're wearing yourself out. See, there's a reason why there's a Sabbath for the land in the the Torah. They gave every seventh year. They'd say, let the land rest. What was it doing? It's saying, hey, we got to have some new nutrients here. So it takes faith to be able to till up some ground that hasn't been tilled for a while or maybe never been tilled at all. It takes faith to stop sowing in the place that is so familiar and so comfortable. But listen, if you sow in the same place over and over and over again, don't be surprised if you're getting the same results or maybe even worse. Because biblically, the process is, it goes like this. If you sow in the same place over and over and over again, you may find out pretty quick that you're in the old, not in the new anymore. There's no more potential there. You've you've extracted everything God wanted you to get out of that and yet you're still going there because it's familiar. Amen. And it takes faith. I mean, you think about it from an agricultural sense, if you were to go back before modern technology and all this type of stuff, it would take total faith to go into a new season and say, I'm placing all my bets on this piece of ground. It's never been tilled yet. That takes faith. But aren't we faith people? I mean, I thought we were faith people, right? I I mean that, that's what that's what the, the scriptures teach us to be. And so, new thinking, that's repentance, leads to new life. You gotta find the ground that's ready. So let me say it this way. And we're getting ready to come in for a landing here. But if you want to leave the old and experience God's new and be transformed by the new, let me tell you the way to do it. It's very, very simple. Find God's now. Don't find God's yesterday. Some of us are living in yesterday. Some of us, our families are living in yesterday. Our marriages are living in yesterday. Our our spiritual lives are living in yesterday. What is is God saying now? I'm talking about right now. I was with the young adults. I, I meet with them the third Monday of every month now at my house, and we were talking some deep theological questions and just kind of going everywhere with it and having fun with it, but one of the questions we were wrestling with is, like, how is it, like, that God can think of every single one of us at the same time, and God can hear all of our prayers, he knows all of, like, how is that? It kind of blows your mind to think about, and so let, let me just, just kind of lay some groundwork. We, we know that God is omniscient, right? That means that God is all-knowing. We've talked about this before, but let me just go over it again. When, it, when we say that God is all-knowing, theologically what that means is that God knows the end from the beginning, that God, knows, that God sees the timeline of all of human history all at once, so God can be present all at once in all of human history right now. Let that just blow your mind for a second. God 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 can. God knows the end from the beginning. God never has to learn anything. He never has to acquire knowledge. He has it all completely at one time. He doesn't need to, it, it, now can God be surprised? I think God can choose all sorts of things, but God has all knowledge. So that the Bible says that even while we were in our mother's womb, that God knew us. The Bible says God knows the amount of hairs on our head and he's keeping track when they're falling out, right? That's. God knows it all. And so God knows every single prayer that you prayed. He keeps your tears in a bottle. Your prayers ascend as an alms offering, as Cornelius' did. God knows all of it right now. He doesn't have to learn it, acquire it, bring out the file cabinet. He knows it. He's got it all. And so... You know, as some theologians will put it, you know, when God, God knows every single animal that he ever created, every single insect, he knows every single name of them, even the ones we haven't named yet. God has a name for them. But it even goes further than that. God not only knows every single animal that he's ever named and he knows all of their names, he knows the, every single animal he could have created but chose not to. And so when God, when it comes to you, how many of you guys have ever wondered, how do I know God's will for my life? Right? Have you ever wondered? Like, how do I know God's will for my life? And have I blown it? Have you ever wondered that? Like, I've I I thought God had a will for me, but now I've messed it all up. How can I ever be in the will of God? Because I messed it up. It's like if there's only one person for me to marry, and I was supposed to walk into the grocery store that one day and I chose to get a donut instead, now I've blown it all, right? And now I've screwed up God's plan and I can't ever get back. See, Here's what I believe, if God is all-knowing and God is omniscient, I believe God's big enough for this, that God knows every single fork in the road, every single decision that we make, God had a plan, maybe there's a certain plan that, that could be a thread through which it all goes, but we make, how many of you guys know, we make decisions along the way. God knows every single decision we make and he knows every decision how it would game play out had we made the other one. For every decision we make you start to layer that on throughout your whole life. All of these, so God could have billions and trillions of possible life, you know, plans for our life in the sense that if we would have made this decision, here's how it would game played out. If we made this decision, every single step of our way. Not only does he know that about you, but he knows that about all the eight billion people or whatever that, that are on the planet right now and all the, eight, all the billions who have lived in all of time and history. Is anybody getting their mind a little bit blown right now? Here's what I'm saying. So if you're right now in this moment and you're saying, have I blown God's will for my life? God knows exactly where you are right now. And he's had a game plan for this moment. And that any one of you right now can decide from this moment on to be in the perfect will of God for your life right now. Find God's now. What is God saying now? I know you know what he said yesterday. But what is he saying right now in this moment? What is he asking you right now in this moment? Because if you find God's now, you'll be living in God's new. And some of us, It's time for us to start breaking up the fallow ground. And so as the worship team comes back up, I'm gonna pray a prayer over us. And I'm just gonna do what I saw last night. We opened up the altar time last night. If you need to have a faith moment, there's nothing special about this altar. I mean, although there's been a lot of prayers prayed here, (laughs) there's been a lot of worship sung over this place. But if you need to just have a moment, I know sometimes we just have to respond in faith and say, no, I'm leaving the old, just like Abraham. You know, the Bible says that he, started let, he left the old and he didn't know where he's going, but he was, I'm leaving the old and I'm stepping into the new. And some of you, that's, that's a moment you need to have right now to say, God, I want your now. I don't want your yesterday, I want your now. And so would you stand up with me and I'm gonna pray this prayer. And during this last song, if you need a moment like that, you're welcome to come and have a moment like that. You can do that wherever you're at, but you're welcome to come. So, I'm just going to pray Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, over us. It says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. God, maybe we have eyes to see where to sow. By revelation of the Holy Spirit, right now, I call out pictures and ideas and thoughts and clear vision out of people right now to bring revelation to the areas of their life, your life, where you have been sowing repetitively in an old piece of ground. Holy Spirit, would you reveal that to us right now? And by your spirit, would you give us a picture? Maybe even a hint of where the new untapped, untilled ground is, what it might look like in our life. Might be a picture of what our marriage looks like or our schedule looks like or our habits look like or our attitudes are like reap steadfast love. I'm so thankful, God, that your will, we can be in your will right now. And no matter where we are on the path that we're in your love, Lord, let us reap more and more and more of it in our life. Break up your fallow ground. Come on, right now, can you just see yourself with the golden shovel in a new area of your life, just sticking that shovel down there and turning over its first first shovel load of earth? Break up that fallow ground, that ground that maybe has never been tapped before, the ground that maybe has been resting for such a time of this, the the ground that's been untilled but it's packed full of nutrients and potential. Turn the shovel right now in your heart. It is time. It is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Lord, let the rains come so the harvest will grow in our life. Oh, let the rain of your spirit come right now. Begin to water the seeds that you're planting, the seed of your word in our heart. May it grow and be planted in good soil. Lord, we call forth your new right now. We call forth the now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come, come. Otherwise, let's worship.